Father, I do thank you for this time to come and worship. I do thank you for this time to seek you, though you are not far from any one of us. You are amongst us. Father, I pray for those broken hearts, those believers who have loved ones who have journeyed away from you, who have sought better things outside of your grace and outside of your love, Lord, but they can never escape the grasp of your love. Father, we just pray that you would bring these loved ones back. We pray, Lord, that you would hunt them down, Lord, like, like that famous poem, The Hounds of Heaven, that you would never let them go and never let them forget that you are their God. And Lord, I pray for those who have this similar prayer. I pray for those who are longing for their loved one to return. I pray that you would give them peace, that you would give them rest in you, and let them know that everything, everything is in the hands of our mighty God. And you can do miracles. You can move mountains. And we thank you and praise you that you love us. Amen. Well, church, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. But I'm going to ask you not to turn in your Bibles there. Because we're going to be in the NASB, 95 version. And there's a reason I'm going to ask you not to do that. Because the characteristics that we're going to see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 for the elders and deacons who are the officers of the church uh, may be different, differently nuanced in each version of the Bible, though the words mean the same. The words are so close in meaning that some translations use this word, while other translations use this word. They mean the same thing, but again, they're nuanced, and there's a reason for that, because there's a repetition of how God wants us to be as leaders of the church. Again, there are two offices. We have elders and we have deacons in the church. Elders are called by many things in the Bible. Overseers, you may find in your Bible. Shepherds, pastors. These are all the same word for elder. Deacons means servants. That is the office of servants. So we have these two offices, and we're going to look at these two offices this morning. But first, let's go ahead and read 1 Timothy, and you can follow on the screen with me this morning as we read through these passages. All right, there we go. See, it took my collar to go against the microphone to make it work. All right. It is, a it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. When I go like this, you're just gonna have to advance the slide for me. <laughs> He must be one who manages his own household, well, keeping his children under control with all dignity, but if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside of the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith 
with a clear conscience. So you will also find the qualifications in Titus as well, Titus chapter 1. And we'll, re we'll refer to Titus throughout this message this morning. But you see we have the two offices, the overseer, elder, pastor, and deacon. So what are the differences between the two roles? I think it's an important distinction. Um, elders are over the teaching and spiritual needs of the church. They are the overseers to make sure that what you're being fed is accurate. What you're being fed is what you need to be nourished and cherished and grow. What you are being fed is what will help you bear fruit and spiritual maturity. And the deacons, on the other hand, are serving the physical needs of the church. They are taking burdens off of the elders so that the elders can focus on ministering to you spiritually. That is the role in a nutshell. So let's look at Titus chapter 5, because I want to answer the question, how many elders do we need in a church? That's a big question today in today's world. I, Heather and I, my family and I, when we were looking for churches to join when we moved to Delaware, we wanted to make sure that there was a church that we could join that had a plurality of elders. It had many elders. We didn't want to join and have membership in a pastor-only-led church. Why? Well, first of all, we think it's biblical to have a plurality of elders. Here in Titus 1.5 it says, For this reason I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. So Paul says, I want you to appoint elders, plural, in the cities where the church is. And back then, you know, you had the church of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus, that was the church, and at that church you had appointed elders. James chapter 5, verse 14, that's the famous verse, says, if you were sick or if you were in sin, you are to gather together who? The elders, plural, of the church. So there is to be more than one elder leading a church. And again, remember, an elder is an elder pastor, a shepherd. Why? Well, I think the, the answer is, is, should be almost obvious. When you have one person in charge of a body like this, it is quite possible that that person is not as accountable as they should be. Let me put it that way. It is quite possible that when you have one person in leadership without a body of accountability, that that one person would be more likely to take that church in a different direction. That one person would have too much power and could easily lead us in a different doctrinal bent because there's no accountability. That person could not be accountable in regards to funds. We don't want that. We want to be circumspect. We want to be above reproach. We want the functioning of the church to glorify the living Christ who is indeed that cornerstone we talked about so much prior to this message. So multiple elders is an accountability factor that the Lord wants in his church. But that's not the only reason. There is wisdom in having multiple elders in a church. There are difficult issues indeed that come up in a church and it's good to have the wisdom of multiple minds trying to deal with an issue. So this is God's pattern for the eldership leader of the church is that there are many. Now, this is interesting. This is interesting. I found this interesting. 
if any man, it is a trustworthy statement, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, elder, it is a fine work he desires to do. So you have the question there at the bottom of the screen, how are elders and deacons chosen? And we normally think, well, all that we do is we look out amongst the congregation and we say, you have the characteristics of an elder. You're humble, you do the work, you're spiritually mature, you're doctrinally strong, you serve already. An interesting thing here though, what about those people who want to be elders? The Bible here says if any man aspires or desires or wants the office of an overseer, it's a fine work he desires in his heart to do. Well, we have to be cautious in today's world because sometimes if we see people who desire something, what do we do? We say, oh, well, they want that too much. They, they, want, they must want that for unsavory reasons. But the Bible clearly says that if you want to hold an office in the church, that it is something that you should aspire to. What does that mean? You should work toward. You should want. We do not want in this church elders who have to have their arms twisted to be on the elder board. That is not giving honor to God. And we shouldn't do that. And I'm not sure if we've done that in the past or not. Maybe we have. Maybe we've been in a deficit of elders. Right now we're not. We have nine elders of this body. But it's not wrong to aspire to the role of an elder or deacon. It's not. It's absolutely something that you should desire. <coughs> now the elder... I'm sorry, where are we at here? I'm sorry, where are we at with there? There we go. All right. So the elders should desire the role. But what do we do here at Faith Community? We, we have a very good process that if you express interest in being an elder or if the congregation expresses interest in you being an elder or they say that, hey, this gentleman, and we'll get to why it's a man in a minute, we're going to get there, this person, man, should be an elder. Well, we might say, hey, are you interested? We might have the people who want to nominate that person go up to that person and say, are you interested in being an elder? And then we as elders will decide, well, does that person desire the task? And we'll go over the qualifications. Do they fit the qualifications? But we also then, once we get a, 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 a group of elders who we think might be good for this church body, what do we do, church? We bring them before the congregation, so that the congregation can let us know if they meet the qualifications of an elder, which are quite difficult for some people to meet because we'll go over those in just a moment. But in Acts chapter 6, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of the food. So the 12 summoned the congregation and the disciples said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they had a need. 
the elders, the disciples, the apostles were being consumed by the work of serving tables and they were neglecting the duty of prayer and teaching the word. So they said, you congregation, from among you, select some men who are qualified, who meet the qualifications that we have, and put them in charge of serving the tables, of serving the church, of meeting the physical needs of the church. And that is where we become with the, up with these two offices of elder deacon. An important thing to point out as we go through 1 Timothy chapter 3 is that the requirements for an elder and a deacon are almost exactly the same, except for two things, this being one of them, the role, elder, spiritual leadership, guiding, shepherding the church, the deacon, serving the physical needs of the church. But there is one other difference between elder and deacon. But when we go through the characteristics of these folks, I want you to understand that they apply equally to elder and deacon. So here we go. Therefore, oh, I'm sorry, there's, let, me, let me try to do it with this. All right, where are we at here? I'm, I apologize, everybody. So here we go. All right, I think this is working now. All right, so these folks, the elders and deacons, they should not be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. All right, so the elder and deacon, either one, should not be a new convert because they can become conceited. Why will they become conceited? Well, if you're a new convert, and you're right away put into the position of leading the church, whether it be through organizing physical service or through spiritual authority in the church and overseeing the church, right away you can become puffed up. Right away you can get a big head. Right away you can say, well, I must be something because they put me in charge of all this wonderful opportunities here, therefore I must be something. So you don't want to put a new believer into the offices of the church because, as the Bible tells us, they may become conceited and fall into condemnation. Another characteristic, he, again, we're going to get to the he, must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So this is important. So elders, deacons, they have to be mature. They have to have a good reputation inside the church, and we're going to get to those characteristics in just a moment. But they also have to have a good reputation on the outside, the outside of the church. What does that mean? Well, we can't have you as an elder in this church if you are known for being a contractor who doesn't show up to the job, who takes deposits and doesn't show up to the job. We can't have you as an elder in the church if you're somebody who proudly boasts that you don't pay your taxes and you never will. We can't have you be an elder or deacon of the church if you are known to be someone who is not faithful to your wife. Why? Why? Well, because that brings a stain upon the church of Jesus Christ. That behavior and if we, if, if we know that behavior and we say we're going to make you the spiritual leader of this church, we are just as dirty as that person we've selected. And we besmirch the name of Jesus Christ and his church. So you have to have a good reputation not only in the church, but in the world outside the church. And it's very important that you are mature 
and respect it. All right, so here's the other difference between a deacon and elder. The roles are different. What they do every day is different. But here's the second one. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Now, do deacons and elders both need to be above reproach? Yeah. What does it mean to be above reproach, church? I'll answer that for you. In the Greek, it means you cannot be taken hold of. Interesting term. You must be above the ability of somebody to take hold of you. What that means is you cannot be in sin to the point where someone could hold you hostage and say, I know you're a cheater. I know you're a drunkard. I know you're X, Y, or Z. Therefore, you are not above reproach, and I now have power over you. I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to make you fall. I'm going to make your church suffer. Now, church, does above reproach mean that somebody doesn't have something against you somewhere in the congregation? No. Unfortunately, there are people who don't like certain elders, certain pastors for various reasons. But hopefully, it's not because they're in adultery. Hopefully, it's not because they're drunkards. Hopefully, it's not because they're living in sin. Maybe it's because they didn't like a message the person gave. Or maybe it's because they don't like that person's personality. That has nothing to do with being above reproach, right? Above reproach doesn't mean that everybody loves you. Because those of you who are in leadership know everybody is not going to love you. You are going to make people not like you. I don't want to say enemies. You're going to make people not like you. So that's not what above reproach. Above reproach means that somebody can't take hold of you and say, you're a sinner and I can prove it. And I'm going to bring you down. All right, but that's not the point here. What's the difference then? Elders and deacons have to have that above reproach nature. Well, the husband of one wife. Deacons and elders at this church, we truly interpret that as have to be men. And I will get into the husband of one wife in another slide, but deacons and elders have to be men. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, we'll get into all these terms, but able to teach is the difference between an elder and deacon. Able to teach, that is not in the qualifications for a deacon, but it is in the qualifications for an elder. So what's the difference? What does that mean? Titus, where it talks about the qualifications in, for elder in Titus, in 1.9 it says, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he, the elder, will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So the ability for an elder to teach is not that they have to be eloquent, not that they have to be up here and entertain you with their words and their style of speech. What it means when an elder is able to teach, an elder is able to exhort sound doctrine. They're able to come to you and say, hey, that doctrine that you're teaching is not sound. And they need to be able to take you to the word of God and show you why. That elder also needs to refute those who contradict the faith. An elder needs to be somewhat of an apologist. Someone who can come alongside and say, this is why we're not Jehovah's Witnesses. This is why we believe that Jesus is the only way and works are not part of salvation. An elder needs to have those tools to be able to handle the word of God, though maybe not necessarily be of eloquence. Understood? But a deacon doesn't necessarily have to have that skill. Now, they have to be mature in the word, but they might not be able to 
defend the faith as aptly as an elder would. Now, it doesn't mean that some of the deacons can't. It's just not their role, and it's not one of the primary qualifications that they're able to do that. Now, they have to be thoroughly knowledgeable of the Word of God. A deacon should be thoroughly, the deacon needs to be mature in the faith. But defending the Word of God, church, wouldn't you agree is a little different than knowing the Word of God? Sometimes to defend the Word of God, you've got to be pretty sharp. You've got to know where people are coming from and where they're headed with their arguments. Anyway, so that's the other difference between an elder and a deacon. The role, what they do, and the ability to defend the word of God and to defend sound doctrine. That is the bailiwick, if you will, of the elders. All right, so let's get into some of these words that describe, I say, elders and deacons in the Bible. We talked about above reproach, and the reason I want you to look up here and not at your Bibles, is because as I said, some of these words are almost synonymous with slight nuance that tries to bring out a different point. And these are the character traits of an elder. Above reproach, cannot be compromised. Temperate, an elder, deacon, well these folks, these men need to be calm, controlled, not given to extremes. You don't walk into a room and not know whether your elder is gonna be screaming or as mellow as a little kitten. No, an elder is calm, controlled, not given to whims of extremes, right? Why are they calm and controlled? Well, we get to that. Prudent, of sound mind, watchful, reacts appropriately to difficult situations. An elder is prudent, looks at the congregation, is mindful of where they're at. He's watchful. And when difficult situations come up, he's temperate. He's prudent, he listens. He doesn't immediately judge. He hears the matter and then he judges from a sound perspective. He can deal with difficult situations because he's not temperamental. He's not extreme in his emotions. He's of sound mind, he's watchful. What's going on in the body of Christ that I'm shepherding? What's happening? Respectable. Ladies, you can take an elder out to dinner and not be ashamed of how he's dressed. That was a joke, but it tells you the point. Respectable, you're not ashamed for the elder to represent you somewhere. He's modest, he's on good behavior, he doesn't bring shame. He's a representative that you're proud of. He can go out into the world and you say, yes, he's an elder of Faith Community Church and he's not out there bringing shame by his conduct to the church. Hospitable. Oh, I wanted to make a comment here. Why are all, all these so similar? Because this is the core of the nature of an elder. Stable, strong in the word. Nothing surprises the elder because he's read it all in the word of God. He knows what's going on. He's not a genius, but he, he's aware that, that difficulties come, that hard things come, hard issues come, that, that, that people will be in pain and he'll have to deal with hearing uh, you know, things and, and be a blessing to people and just be a source of stability. He needs to be that living stone that was laid upon the cornerstone. He needs to be a rock to some degree of sound mind. You know, all, this, all this stuff sounds difficult. Why on earth would I earnestly desire to be an elder? Church, these are the characteristics that I think Christ wants all of us to have. He wants all of us to attain to having these characteristics. We're, elders, deacons are not a special class in the sense that these things are not attainable through the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ. This is what he wants all of us to attain to, to be stable, to be temperate, to be prudent, to be respectable. 
But there's more, hospitable. An elder, a deacon needs to like to interact with people. You know, my job would be great if I didn't have to interact with people. Have you ever heard that statement before? I think I've said it myself at work a few times. Yeah, this job would be great if I didn't have to deal with it. Well, you're a manager of people, so. You have to like to interact with people. You have to like to listen to people. You have to like to visit and talk to people who you may not have anything in common with. You have to be someone who likes to have people into your home. This was a, a, a Near East tradition. Invite them into your home and you, you give them everything they need for their journey and for their well-being and you welcome them like kings into your home. Hospitable, kind, smile. Sometimes even when you don't feel like it. But you have to love interacting with the body. Not pugnacious. Not looking for a fight. Oh, man, that guy brings me that issue. He's going to get it. He's going to get it. He's going to get walloped. Let him, let him come to my office and talk to me. We're not looking for a fight. We're not looking for a fight. We're not pugnacious. Yeah, there's contentious issues. But somebody comes to you with a contentious issue, you're a mature believer in Christ. You're going to be hospitable. You're going to be temperate. You're going to be prudent. You're not going to be looking for a fight. You're looking for resolution. You're looking for peace. That's what an elder does. And if you can't find peace, you want to depart on good terms, not having behaved like some fool. Not pugnacious, gentle, mild, moderate, able to give a gentle reply. I'm sure you've been in disagreements, and I'm sure your temper has risen a time or two. But an elder and deacon are supposed to be able to control their emotions and give gentle replies even when things are getting hot. Even when things are getting difficult to manage, the leader of the church can give a gentle reply, not throwing fuel on the fire, but trying to bring the flames down to a manageable level. Peaceable. Peaceable. The elder, the deacon, desires reconciliation. At all costs, if it's possible, the elder or deacon, when faced, and primarily the elder with spiritual issues, will try to have a peaceful reconciliation. And when that is not possible, when the two sides are totally on divergent planes, you will depart in a respectable manner. But bringing peace is one of the roles of an elder. Some of you in here who might have animosity towards others in here, the role of an elder would be to reconcile that. But they can't reconcile that if they don't know it exists. But the desire of the church shepherd is for the sheep to all get along. The desire of the church shepherd is for the sheep to like being with one another and to reconcile whenever there's disagreements in the body to the best of his ability. All right, so verse 2 in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, says the elder is the husband of one wife. So we do believe the Bible teaches clearly, and we're, we're going to teach on women's role in the church in two weeks. So we do believe that the office of elder deacon is to be held by a man, the husband of one wife. But John, does, does the elder or deacon have to be married? No. No. So what does this mean, husband and wife? I'm sure he says he must be the husband of one wife. Well, was Jesus the, the husband of one wife? Would you let him be an elder in your church? Yeah, I pretty much would. I would. I really would. I got to tell you. Um, no, that's not what it means. 
Paul said he did not have a wife at the time that he was doing his missionary journeys. John the Baptist did not have, he was not the husband of one wife. But what does this mean then? Is it, does it mean that he can't have multiple wives? Well, no, during, during this time, the Roman Empire, polygamy was not a thing. They did not have multiple wives in this area of the kingdom. So what does it mean? Well, what it means, and most scholars will tell you, that this means he must be a one-woman man, a faithful man. Could he have been divorced prior to this? Yes, can of worms, but yes. We can open that can of worms another time, but yes. Can an elder have been divorced for a biblical reason in the past and be an elder after remarriage? Yes. But this primarily means a one-woman man. What does that mean? He's faithful to his wife. When you see that elder, you know that he loves his wife, he's faithful to his wife, he's not dangling with any unseemly things on his computer, he's not dealing with that, he's not, he's not having any kind of things that make his wife feel like less of a woman. He's a one-woman man, and you know it. You know that he loves that woman. And there's nobody, there's no other woman that takes the place of her. That's what this means. He's a respectable, God-fearing man who loves his wife. Verse 4. And these, he must be one who manages his own household well. So he must be faithful to his wife and love her. And he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Now what this means, managing his household, is, is, is really important in Greek. It means he stands in front of his family. That's what managing your own household means in the Greek. You stand in front of your family as a father and as a husband. What does that mean? So that they can see Christ. So that your family can see Christ, you stand in front of them as a representative of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter five tells us that that is who we are in the marriage, in the family. The man represents Jesus Christ and he's not ashamed to stand before them because he's an open book of God. Yes, he has his faults, yes, he does his foibles, he has his, his, his up times, his down times, but overall, the arc of his life is that he's not ashamed to stand before his family and say, I'm yours, you're mine, I'm the head of this family, and I'm gonna lead it like Jesus Christ would. Many are you standing in front of your family? Are you being transparent? Are you being men of God? Are you standing before them saying, I'm representing Christ in this family. It's an important thing that you need to do. All right, let's move on. Able to resist temptations. This is another section in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I tried to group these into sections. Able to resist temptations, 1 Timothy 3.3. 3. The elder or deacon will not be addicted to wine, free from the love of money. So two things. He will not be addicted to wine. It doesn't say that he cannot drink wine but he will not be addicted to it, he will not be a drunkard, he will not value it above anything else, and in fact, the Bible, and this is gonna be controversial, discourages those in leadership from drinking alcoholic beverages. The Bible says kings should abstain. Why, why would the Bible say something like that? It's not wrong if you don't. But the Bible says that because the Bible doesn't want those in leadership to get addicted to wine. 
The Bible doesn't want those in leadership to have their judgment clouded by being addicted to wine. So sometimes the Bible says it's better that you don't do it, but this is a personal matter between you and God, but it clearly says you are not to be addicted to it. That's the biblical mandate. And you must also be free from the love of money. So this is an interesting one because people always ask me, well, what does it mean to, to love money? Well, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So what does it mean to love money and that money is a root of evil? Well, in, in Titus it tells us that elders should not bamboozle. Anybody ever hear that word? That's an old word. Bamboozle the congregation. The elders should not use the congregation and steal money from you. That's one clear one, that you love money more than the congregation. But there's more to it than that. It is a root of all evil. A root. A root grows into a tree. So Galatians chapter 5, 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control. That's the root of being grounded in Jesus, amen? Yeah, you with me? If you're rooted in Jesus, this is the fruit. If you have a root in the love of money, what is the fruit, church? Well, let's go with the opposite of what the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit of the Spirit is that you love God and others. If you love money, who do you love? You. Yourself. If you're rooted in Jesus, the fruit is joy. If you love money, what is the fruit? There's no joy. There's no consistent happiness in loving money and pursuing it endlessly with all your heart. There's no peace. If you're wondering if you are addicted to money, ask yourself, is my pursuit of it disrupting peace in my life? Am I experiencing anxiety because I want more money and I'm trying to build my kingdom larger and larger? Am I as kind as I should be with my money or am I saving it all for me and for my next purchase? Am I being generous with my money? I'm being faithful with my money. If you're not demonstrating the fruits of the spirit with the use of your money, you love your money too much and it's probably causing trouble in your life and in your marriage and in your family. If you love money more than the fruit of the spirit, more than Jesus Christ, there is no peace. There is only anxiety. There is only trouble. It doesn't mean you can't be rich. You can be rich. You can be poor. You can be in the middle. It's the attitude of loving the money and the accumulation of it that's the problem. It is a root of all sorts of evil. All right, as we come to the end here, why did Paul tell us all this stuff about the qualifications of elders and about the structure of the church? He says, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. Church, Paul's message to us is, yes, this is how the leaders should act in the church. And you should follow their leadership. You should be under their leadership and authority. But he's saying this is how the church should function. 
These are the characteristics that the church should have. These are the characteristics that you should eagerly pursue in your lives. It's not just the leaders of the church who are to be sanctified and become more like Christ. It is all of us in the church who should be sanctified and become more and more like Christ each and every day. So church, let's just pray briefly and then I'm gonna leave you with a blessing. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the establishment of your church. We thank you for the offices of your church. But Lord, most of all, we thank you that you are the head of your church. And this is the system you have put in place until you return. And we praise you and thank you that this place is a pillar of truth. And we will be a pillar of truth as long as we follow your headship and your leadership. Father, I pray that each one in here will long to grow in maturity, will long to grow in the, the aspects of what a true believer should be like. And Lord, I know each and every one of us in here want to be more and more like you. Give us the strength and the power to bear good fruit. And Lord, I would pray if there's any men in here this morning who want to take the mantle of eldership or deaconship, that you would give them that desire in their heart because there's nothing wrong with desiring to serve in your pillar of truth. And Lord, just be a blessing today to the, all the people in this congregation. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, church, your blessing this morning is to go and live in the mercy of grace in Christ and be people of character that God can love. Amen. Go forth, or fifth, whoever's first. <laughs>